the challenge has always been for mankind to keep the focus where it needs to be. From the beginning of creation down to the present day and beyond, that challenge remains that our faith would look up towards God. The temptation has been and always shall be of taking our eyes off of Jesus, off of God, off of his word, and to listen to another voice or to look at surroundings and circumstances that seem beyond comprehension or our ability to control, to become discouraged and to lose focus. The faith is always to be in God, who reigns supreme, the God who has always watched over us as he has created us in his own image. And yet so many times we still fail to look up to him in faith. Throughout the scriptures we are admonished and reminded of that weakness of man. We've always been admonished and challenged to re-examine, re-evaluate, reaffirm the commitment that we have made, are making, and, ca- and shall continue to make to God above. No different towards the end of the first century as Jude is beginning to write to those of his day. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Notice the contrast between the earthly and the heavenly. of Jude in his declaration as to who he is, to remind us who, what we've been called for and how we have been preserved. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward 
destroyed those who did not believe. And it goes on to give other accounts as well of the holiness, faithfulness, true to his word, God. Reminding those of his day, reminding us, and again, the way that he words it. There are those who have crept in unnoticed. They do not boldly come in proclaiming false teaching. They've always just been able to slip in and creep in and begin to sow the discord, forgetting. And the scriptures clearly remind us again from Genesis through Revelation. God's faithfulness, his love for man, his patience with man, his forgiving man when man has transgressed and turned back to God, but also his faithfulness in keeping his word that those who transgress indeed would be punished. And as you read through, oftentimes though we're Influenced by what we see and sometimes by what we hear. Many of us remember years ago the movie The Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston in it, and Robert G. Edwards, Edwardson, or Robinson, was a sneaky little guy who was among the Jews and was on the Egyptian side. Anyway, somebody, when they had to put the blood over the doorpost and on the lentils, someone in in his household did that. And when he was told he had to leave, he wasn't happy about that. And so he's pictured as one who grumbled and complained the whole time. He always wanted something to happen to him, uh, which finally would happen. But it's just the fact that every opportunity he was grumbling and complaining about Moses and what they were doing and so forth. Some of that was there. But just again for our reminding us of their witnessing the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the miraculous food in the wilderness, And all that went along with that as time would unfold, the shoes that never wore out and the clothes that never wore out. Forgetting who made that possible. And he said, you already know this, as Jude is writing, but evidently you had forgotten. The enemy's on the outside, but the enemy can and oftentimes will be on the inside. And as Jude is saying, they have come in unnoticed. They have a different way of thinking. They got a different way of expressing what they think. And we've always read it this way. But you know, there's another possibility as to how you could look at this. And they're seeking to destroy from within. The attack from without can be withstood. 
When you have the foe who's teaching false doctrine, who's trying to influence you to believe false doctrine, you know what you're facing. You meet those who have the false teaching, you know where they stand. And you know how you can combat that or, or, or confront that and hopefully try to persuade them to change their way of thinking rather than their changing our way of thinking. But the one who creeps in unnoticed, who patiently, over time, sows the seed of discord or the seed of doubt, or are you really sure? It's one thing when you have those in the religious world who will confront you and say, Oh, you're the ones. You're the you're the ones that believe that only you, or the Lord, the Church of Christ, are going to heaven. And it's another thing when that comes from one who has been well respected within the Lord's Church, who would make a statement like that. You know, there's another way of looking at it. To know those who again would change how one becomes a Christian. To say, no, after all, God is looking at the heart. God is not looking for the exact obedience to what he has to say. He just wants you to be sure that your heart is where it needs to be. And if it is, then what you did does not matter. Creeping in. He said, I want to write to you about our common salvation. I want you to understand what we have in Christ Jesus. But I found it necessary to write to you, to admonish you, to be able to contend, to defend, to stand up for the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. We live in a world that there are those in the religious world who want to say the faith or the revelation of God has not ceased, that it continues to be revealed to us today. And I've always found that interesting, that there'd be those who would teach that. And I found it sad that there'd be many within the Lord's church that would believe that. That there is new revelation being revealed by God through a variety of different means. So what is that saying? That's saying over a period of time, from beginning on down or at the completion of the New Testament, that God has told those people, listen, you do not have all of the truth. And this is not going to be revealed to you, and it will not be revealed for 2,000 years plus down the road. In other words, in 2,000 years, all the people who live from the first century to whenever this new revelation will come will have an incomplete revelation from God. So you're going to base your salvation on an incomplete revelation from God. That's not what Jude is saying. It's not what the scriptures teach. This faith has been once for all, one time only, been delivered. We have it. There is not something new to be brought along, but yet there are those who want to look at it in, in, a, in a different light along the way. They deny the all-sufficiency of the Scriptures. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness 
The elders are admonished in Acts 20, verse 27. Paul said, I have, I have not sinned from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So when they say we've been given everything that pertains to life and to godliness, that we have the whole counsel of God, that we have the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and that's what guides us. And then somebody suggests, that's not so. Why would we listen? Well, that's always been a problem for man, has it not? For mankind. Always had this problem of really accepting without a reservation, based on, again, what we can see of the creation. Romans 1 and verse 20. Creation tells you that there is a God. Creation tells you that, that, that there is a God. And that that God, as scriptures would go on, has revealed himself to us. So we have what God wants us to have. And there is nothing more to be given. But it sounds so good or appealing at times to be able to say and to hear some. And again, it's one thing when I hear those in the religious world in general talking about it. That as I was praying, God told me this or God told me that. This is what God revealed to me in when I was talking to him. But then to hear some of those who, whether well, we all fall in on that one, ought to know better, begin to listen to this different voice. And to begin to believe that that you know, there's something to that. Maybe we need to reevaluate what we're doing. We have a group that basically wants to restructure the whole church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wants us to do away with everything that we've been taught in the scriptures of what God wants from us, of what the church is built like, and how it's to be governed, and what's involved in all of this, and how he wants us to worship him. <laughs> and you do not have to lift your eyes very high to see that. It's not often some far distant country, not often some far different state. It's here. It's in our area. Let's restructure the church. Let's redo things. We struggle with how we deal with what's going on in our society today. We've got congregations in this area that says because of restrictions that they see, we see nothing wrong with our worshiping God or having part of our congregation worship God on Saturday night. That's totally acceptable in the eyes of God. That's here. That's not some other place. That's in our area. We don't have a problem. Here's what Jude is talking about. There are going to be those who will sneak in and begin to teach things that they ought not to teach and have no concern about what has already been given. Verse 11, he talks about, Woe to them, for they've run after the way of Cain, and they've run greedily after the heir of Balaam. 
for profit and that perished in the rebellion of Korah. Again, there's spots in your love feast. It's Judas. This is a short little book, but it's got such a powerful message. You read Jude and you read Second Peter and see of the faithfulness of God and how he will deal has dealt with and will deal with be it angels be it prophets be it preachers be it members be ever whoever it may if there is a change in what God has given there is a day of reckoning and a day of an accountability towards God It is always sound to many, and at times we've allowed that thinking to influence us. It's always sound harsh to individuals. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many will hear the gospel, but few there are that will obey that gospel. Wide is that gate that leads to destruction, and many go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. Few there be that find it, let alone enter into it. And that sounds harsh. The majority will not listen. We live again, we understand that in a world of seven billion, well, billion of the people we have on the face of the earth now. The majority have no desire to listen to Jesus, to God, or to the Bible. Buddha, whoever else is out there, Confucius, Mohammed, you name it, it's out there. They will listen to those. And for a very minority, a minute minority of the population saying, listen, without hesitation, not arrogant, but without hesitation and without fear, they are lost. There's no two ways about it. They are lost. They need to hear. Well, what do you find when you try to share that with them? And you don't have to worry about trying to share it with those in India or in China or wherever else, Russia, doesn't matter. You just try sharing it with those that you know. And what do you hear? I don't want to hear that. I believe I'm okay with God. I'm happy. I feel I'm okay. I don't need to hear you say that, no, that's not the way God wants it to be. I believe that when I call on the Lord for salvation that I had it made and have no fears. Mentioned, I mean, I've talked to him. I got him in my family, as you may have some in yours as well. When I let the words Jesus as my Savior, ask Jesus as my Savior into my heart, I had eternal salvation right then. And there's absolutely, positively nothing that I can do to lose that salvation. I can live my life entirely as I wish to live it. 
and I'm going to heaven. Wow. And then you try to share with them, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Well, I believe. I call on Jesus as Lord. And you try to go down through that. I, I usually start with where they're at. Whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. I don't have a problem with that. Let's sit down and discuss that. What does it mean to call on the Lord? Let's discuss that. What does it mean to call? How can you call on him whom you have not heard? How can you ask him to be a savior if you know nothing about him? How can you call him Lord? Then you go to Luke 6, 46. How can you call him Lord if you're not going to do what he says? I haven't heard a good answer out of that one. How can you call him Lord and refuse to do what the Lord says? Or they want to twist it. Whatever else is out there. The point that Jude is bringing out, they have crept in unaware. And there's the danger. We must always be on our guard because the false teacher is always out there and the desire is always to strive to lead astray. They will deny God's authority. Jude had to deal with those who deny only the only Lord and God and our Savior Jesus Christ. They deny it. They want to claim it, then they deny it. I want him to be Lord of my life, but I want to be free to do what I want to do. The challenge is always there. The hope is always given that if they change, then we need to be careful that as we, again, look out and point that they need to reconsider what they're doing in their religion. That point comes back here as well. That we need to consider that. Because everything I read from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, most of what I read has to deal with God's people. Yeah, the others are mentioned, but he's addressing God's people. Read 1 Corinthians 10, first 11 verses there. And again, I've always been appreciative of how God works things. Talks about Israel of old coming out of the land of Egypt, traveling in the wilderness, and only Joshua and Caleb entering into the promised land. And again, as you go back and read all of that and read how many fighting men there were, over 650,000 fighting men, plus the women and the children. And then you get down to about verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10. And with many of them, God was not well pleased. Wow. Many of them? I did it one time. I don't remember what the percentage was. It doesn't matter. But you take two... And what percentage of 650,000 is that? What's the percentage? Not very big. And we're just talking about Israel. We're not talking about the Egyptians. 
the Assyrians, the Syrians. We're not talking about any of the other nations on the face of the earth during that period of time. We're talking about the Israelites, and we're talking about the fighting men of Israel. And with most of them, God was not well pleased. And as you read the accounts, you see what happens to those with whom God was not well pleased. Contrast that with Matthew 25, verse 21 and verse 23. When the Lord in the day of judgment says to the righteous, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. There's a difference between well done and not pleased. And as would be the case in anything, I want to know what the difference is. I want to know the difference, and I want to bring it up into New Testament as well. I want to know the difference between Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23. I want to know the difference between those who have said, look at what we have done in your name. And he says, depart, I never knew you. Listen to what he's saying. He's not talking to the ungodly people there. He's talking to those who have claimed to walk with him. He's talking to those who have claimed to do the miracles. Lord, we've done all these things in your name. And he's going to say, depart, I never knew you, ye workers of iniquity. And then Matthew 25, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Eternity, eternity is at stake. I want to know the difference. As I read here in Jude, Second Peter, anywhere up and down the line in the scriptures, as I read, I read of God's love. I read of his patience. I read of his comfort. I read of the hope that he gives. But I also read as he talks about his people. They say they love me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. And they will not receive that crown. I read Revelation 2 and 3. John right into the Seven churches of Asia. Spend some time reading that again. Remind yourself that he's writing to the churches of the Lord and what he has to say to them. First one ever hits you at times, first one's Ephesus. You've got a reputation. You stand for truth. You confront those who are in error. 
again those words, but, I don't know, but when God uses that word but, but, I have this against you. You left your first love. Did he say, well, that's okay. Work on it. He says, repent. And return to your first love. Repent. You read the other letter to the churches. You're doing this. You're doing that. But I have this against you. God wants us to want him. God wants us to want him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. He wants us to love with the total being. He wants us to have that longing desire to be with him eternally and to allow nothing on this earth regardless of who brings it regardless of the appeal that it may have regardless of the false promise that it may give to allow nothing on this earth to come between us God in eternity with him in heaven who at the door is standing patiently drawing near entrance demanding whose is the voice that I hear it is the voice of God calling stands at the door of our heart entrance within demanding wanting in And as the song says, let the Savior in. Let him in. It gives a life here that has no regrets. And definitely it gives an eternal life that absolutely has no regrets at all. But what we do here determines what happens there. So as we look at our life today, tomorrow, down through our life, Is it where it needs to be? Or is there a need to make a change? God is always inviting. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and there you shall find rest for your soul. Hear the voice of the Savior. If life needs to be changed, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.